Existing just beyond the boundaries of our comprehension, there lies an unseen world. A world that exists just beyond the veil of darkness. A world that should be left undisturbed. You're listening to the Cajun Demonology Podcast. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to the Cajun Demonologist Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Leonard, the Cajun Demonologist. I am broadcasting from a little-known fire station deep in the swamps and the bayous of southern Louisiana. Well, I have a really great show in store for you guys tonight. So recently, Travel Channel aired an episode of Paranormal Witness called The Demon House. And I happened to run across a lot of traffic on Facebook of people discussing the episode. So I figured I would do a podcast about the episode because I am connected to this very case. This case took place in a small town called Springfield, Louisiana, which is about 10 miles from where I live. In hindsight, Paranormal Witness did a pretty decent job of explaining the overall events that took place within the quote-unquote demon house. However, they went from point A to point Z and left out a whole lot of things that happened within this very case. Now, part of the reason for that is because Paranormal Witness has their own template, if you will, on how they present or edit their show. And they do this to separate themselves from other paranormal type shows. For one, Paranormal Witness does not include paranormal teams. That's not the way that they do their show. Their show is more about the victims, not the investigators. However, there are a lot of very important details that were left out of the show or they didn't quite get it right. So I'm going to set the record straight tonight and give you guys an overall view of exactly what happened and how it happened. So the story of the Demon House begins in late 2013 when AJ and Janine, a young couple, purchased what they thought was going to be their dream home. Now let me take a moment and describe this home to you guys so that you can get a mental picture of what they were walking into. Now this was a beautiful home. Now this was a beautiful two-story home that was a brick home. Um, It was built probably in either the late 70s, early 80s. It was pretty modern home and And they got this home for less than half of what the value of this home was. I'll put it to you this way. If someone was to purchase this home, you would probably pay over $200,000 for this home. Now, in southern Louisiana, that is a pretty expensive home. Most average homes here in Louisiana, now I'm talking new, newly built homes, price range from around $150,000 to $170,000. Okay, so they got a really good bargain. I think they paid 
less than a hundred thousand dollars for this home now i'm not 100 percent certain on this but i'm pretty sure it was close around that price range and this home was located less than a quarter of a mile away from the river beautiful beautiful location so after the papers were signed and they purchased their dream home the home needed a little bit of minor work now when i say minor work i'm talking about more like fresh paint on the walls things like that very very small things i mean the house was in really really good shape so what they did was they purchased a camper and parked a camper on their property while they were working on the home so aj would go to work during the day and during the evening they would work on the home well when the activity really started from the very beginning it really kind of started around janine okay so when aj was at work janine would be at the home because she's a stay-at-home mom and she would paint the home and the first signs of paranormal activity really started when she would be in the house painting and her radio would cut off on its own and this really started really really shortly after they moved onto the property itself. The haunting really progressed quite rapidly in this case. Not all demonic cases, the activity will rapidly expand such as it did this case, but this case was really unique in the reason why the paranormal activity really amplified. So before I get ahead of myself, I think it's really important to explain to you guys Janine in particular okay she suffers from heart problems and health problems which means that she is on a lot of medication and she has an asthma inhaler that she has to have with her at all times now when she was in the home the very early stages the only thing that was really going on was the radio would go on and off on its own now did she right out think that it was paranormal activity at the time no she did not she thought maybe they had some um bad wiring in the home and it was shorting out which is what was causing the radio to turn on and off now aj decided to look into this and had an electrician come to the home and the electrician could not find anything wrong with the wiring in the home itself and janine had stated that she felt a little uneasy when she would be in the home especially by herself pretty much from the get-go from the day that they move on to the property now the paranormal activity really kind of progressed within about two weeks of them being on the property so now the paranormal activity went from simply turning the radio on and off on its own till when they would leave the home itself and come back all the kitchen cabinet doors would be open now they had quite a lot of cabinet doors and and a fairly big kitchen to say the least and when they would leave the home and come back all the cabinet doors would be open now at this point, they still didn't really say, well, oh, my house is haunted. They thought that the neighbor's kids were breaking into the home when they weren't there and they were opening the cabinet doors, playing a prank on them. Now, after this, when the paranormal activity in the house really seemed to progress, Janine would get sick every time that she would enter into the home. And she said she always felt a real heaviness the second she would walk into the home, especially when she would be by herself. Not only that, she had said that every once in a while she would get a whiff of a very potent, foul odor that would be in the home, particularly upstairs, but she couldn't figure out what the source was, where the smell was coming from. Now, the incident that led up to 
truly make at least Janine believe that there was something not quite uh, something that was not quite right with the home was that she said that she would start hearing voices again when she would be in the home by herself. She would hear a male voice calling her name and she would constantly hear chatter. She couldn't quite make out what they were saying, but she could definitely hear a vocal sound of someone speaking in the home. And she said in particularly, it sounded like they were always upstairs. Now, I think at this point, it's also very important for me to describe to you guys the layout of the home. So when you walk in the back door, there's the kitchen and the living room and the dining room downstairs and there's also a a bedroom downstairs now when you go up the stairs there's two bedrooms there's one on the left and then there's one on the right and in the middle there is a bathroom with a door that walks into the attic now the attic plays a very important role in this case that we will get to later but Right now, she said that she would always hear the voices, and it always seems that it would be upstairs. Now, what really made her to decide to really force AJ to come to grips with something was not quite right with the home was that she said one day when she walked in the home, she seen a figure of a very tall man standing at the top of the stairs. Now, she described this man as around six to seven foot tall, and she said that it was solid black, but it was was a solid mass and all she could see was eyes there were no other facial features that she could distinguish within this mass or this figure of a man and when this happened she told AJ that she was not stepping another foot back in that home until they had someone come and check it out and remove whatever was in the home now AJ at this point still didn't believe that it was anything paranormal related but anyway because of his wife's health and the fact that he cared about his wife he reached out to a local paranormal team that was based out of new orleans called paranormal society of new orleans well i've worked with this group quite often because me and the founder were pretty pretty close friends and he contacted me and explained to me the things that were going on in the home and asked if i would join them for their investigation and see if I can get a feel for what's going on in the home because they had no experience when it came to demonic cases. In fact, the team itself was a very scientific based paranormal group. Now, at the time when Chris Malosson, which is the founder of Paranormal Society of New Orleans, contacted me, I was currently working another case. And rule of thumb in the world of demonology, when you're working a case, you can't really focus on another case until you solve the case that you're currently working on. Um, but there were a few things that he told me that really caught my attention. And if you ever heard me talk about the Stinson case, which is the case that really led me down the path of spiritual warfare and demonology in particular, there were some similarities between that case and this case. One, the way that she described the entity. Whenever I was working the Stinson case, it's the one and only time I ever saw a demonic figure with my own two eyes. And this entity was about seven foot tall, and it also only had eyes. There were no facial features with that entity as well. So that really, really caught my attention. And the health problems that he described to me that Janine suffered from, which reminded me of Joy from the Stinson case as well. So... 
that's really what made me decide to accompany them on this in particular investigation. So I told them, sure, that I would actually assist them on their investigation that night. Now, almost immediately when I arrived to the home, the paranormal team was already there. And I will say the second that I stepped out the car, I felt an uneasiness. Look, if you're ever in the presence of pure evil, it is very distinct on the feeling of the energy. You will never forget it. And I felt this almost immediately. And before I get into all the details that happened that night with the paranormal team and myself, we're going to take a real short break. Trust me, guys, you don't want to go anywhere. And you might want to turn all the lights on in the room when you're listening to this. Because this story is about to get bumped up a few notches. We will be right back. of handmade St. Michael and St. Benedict bracelets as well as handmade rosaries, horseshoe crosses and also be sure to check out our luxury line of jewelry as well. We make each piece of our handmade jewelry with you in mind. Please be sure to check us out at Cajun Hood Jewelry on Facebook or visit our store at jeremyleonard.net All right, ladies and gentlemen, and we are back for our second segment of the Cajun Demonologist podcast, where we are discussing the events that happened on the show that appeared on Travel Channel's paranormal witness called The Demon House. So, as a demonologist, for me, I approach paranormal investigations slightly different than what paranormal investigators would. Number one, it's always very important for me to go into a case trying to prove that it is not demonic. Okay, There could be certain things that may seem or appear to make someone think that they have a demonic entity infestation or oppression in their home, but that's not necessarily the case. So for me, I always try to go in with the mindset of proving that it is not demonic. It's important to always understand not everything that occurs paranormal-wise is a demon, even though a lot of people tend to think so nowadays. So the very first thing that I wanted to do whenever I actually met AJ and Janine was sit down and have a client interview with them. Now, for me as a demonologist, doing a face-to-face -face interview with a client can tell me and give me so much information during the interview because I know the right questions to ask. Because when it comes to demons, let's just say demons have a certain 
flair or forte or way that they operate. Regardless of what you see on TV, the number one thing you got to always keep in mind is demons do not want to be known, okay? And not only that, one of the most important aspects of being a demonologist when trying to determine whether a home is infestated, has a demonic infestation, is demons do not haunt locations, okay? This is very, very important. Ghosts or earthbound spirits haunt locations. Demons want to inhabit or possess a person. So, in fact, they haunt people, not locations. However, there are certain times when a demon may be bound or trapped in a home or a location which would give it the legal right to be there. Okay, so what do I mean by legal right? Well, it's important to understand that demons cannot just see someone walking down the road and say, I want to possess them. It does not work that way. And I will say this again, it does not work that way. In fact, demons have to be invited into someone's life. Now, when we talk about the Roman Catholic Church and the rite of exorcism in particular, why do you think it's called the rite, R-I-T-E, of exorcism? Because in fact, the demon has a right to someone and you say the right of exorcism to break whatever legal right the entity has to that person. So as we start the interview with Janine, I like to interview the client that is experiencing the most paranormal activity by themselves away from family members. That way no one could put words in the other person's mouth. So I started the interview, me and Chris Malonso started the interview with Janine. Now Janine said that at one point when she was in the home that she was in the kitchen and she felt a real heavy presence. She said that the temperature in the room shift pretty rapidly. It became really cold in the room and something yanked her hair. Okay. So with that being said, the first thing that pops in my mind is, well, earthbound spirits are going to really be limited by the interaction that they can have with the physical world. Okay, so pulling someone's hair or scratching someone, pushing someone, this is not characteristics of an earthbound spirit. In fact, earthbound spirits are very limited on what they can do because they have to draw energy from something to be able to manifest or interact in the physical world in which we live in. Demons, on the other hand, do not. They want to strike fear and terror in someone, which is a very powerful negative energy which is a food source or almost like a drug to them, right? It gives them more power when they can create chaos within a person. I can remember looking at Janine and comparing her to Joy. See, Joy was very frail and very weak, timid woman the very first time that I met her. Well, Janine was the same way. She was very withdrawn in a way. It was kind of like... Obviously, you could tell she was absolutely terrified to be in the home, even with all of us there. Okay, she definitely did not want to be in the home. In fact, we done the interview in the kitchen, which is the closest to the exit door that leads out of the home, which is where she wanted to do the interview. Okay, so that's telling me something psychologically about this person.
So I ask random questions to really kind of gain their mental capacity. Where are they at mentally? Are they suffering from some type of mental illness such as schizophrenia or bipolarism? These types of things are the things that I'm trying to figure out at this point to tell me whether this person is suffering from a natural cause or are they suffering from a supernatural cause? But I can remember the one thing that really got my attention is when she told me that her youngest son was in his bedroom upstairs and she heard him talking to someone. Well, when she went up the stairs and she asked him who he was talking to, the little boy said he was talking to his friend. Well, Janine says, well, what is your friend telling you? And the boy replied, my friend's telling me that I have to be his friend and play with him or he's going to kill you. Now, that struck fear in me because I know that is an MO. That is the way demons operate. OK, that is their signature. OK, they, they do things like that. So what demons want to do is they're going. So but you get to the stage of infestation which means you've invited a spirit or a demonic entity into your home even willingly or by accident not really knowing what you're doing okay and you the first stage is called infestation which means that the entity is now has a legal right to be in the home and you're going to start off with all the signs that you would with a haunting of an earthbound spirit but the difference between an earthbound spirit and a demonic entity is the hauntings get really aggressive really fast okay and all the hauntings really picked up and got really rampant to the point to where we were that day within a matter of a month okay that usually does not happen when it comes to earthbound spirits the only earthbound spirits that i know that can get that aggressive that quick are native american indians and i'm going to tell you i do not mess with native american indians i'm going to tell you why because they are not bound by rules see demons are bound by certain rules that they must follow it's called the heavenly law they can't just do whatever they want the number one thing to always remember is a demon cannot do anything against someone's free will now with that being said this is what they do they go from an infestation to an oppression now all the hauntings revolves around one individual in the home in this case it was Janine so what it's doing at this point is it's trying to break this person down mentally physically spiritually emotionally completely isolate that person and break their will so that they will allow it to eventually gain possession now with that being said, again, you have to give a demon permission to possess you. Now, one may ask, well, who in the world would do such a thing? How does this happen? Well, I'm going to give you an example. Demons will use what you love the most against you. In Janine's case and in Joy Stinson's case, it was her children. So they will harass the children until it gets to the point to where the person that's being oppressed will say, do whatever you want to do to me, but leave my children alone. With that simple phrase, you have now granted this thing permission to start the phase of possession so when she told me about the experience she had in the upstairs bedroom with her son i asked where was this child's bedroom because demons have a certain area in a house where they like to hang out i call it their lair right usually it's going to be in a cold dark places a lot of times it's going to be like in a cellar which we don't have basements down here but are attics which are common down here where demons will 
hangout, right? It's, it's basically their lair. Well, when we went upstairs, if you go to the left, that's the youngest child's bedroom. Now, we use paranormal equipment called a K2 meter, which picks up electromagnetic fields, okay? And we use this device to register electromagnetic shift within a room, okay? Uh, the theory is that spirits are energy, and they, they give off electromagnetic fields, and the devices that we use will actually register, and we're able to tell if they're in a room with us or not. Well, the EMF in the child's bedroom was off the charts and i would ask a question and the k2 meter would respond almost immediately um also i noticed one of the other hot spots was in between the two bedrooms was the attic okay so this is a demon mo okay so i'm writing all of this down i still have not come to the conclusion that it was demonic at this point in time so after that the team set up all their equipment and they started the investigation. We asked the family members to vacate and leave the property at that point because we don't want them to be attacked or anything of that nature while we are doing the investigations. Okay. Now, when the team started conducting the investigation that night in the episode, you hear them talk about a Bible that slammed shut. That actually happened when the paranormal team was there. We were doing an experiment. You see, demons don't like to be known. So, in fact, believe it or not, it's very common that if a demonic entity is in a home, when we, the investigators, go there, the house will be quiet. Absolutely nothing will happen. That is because the demon does not want to be known. The only time the demon will lash out is when they feel threatened, okay? And I say this all the time. This is when the nastiness comes out. However, demons have a an extreme ego, if you will. And if you know what buttons to push, you can get a reaction from them that they have no control over. And using um, religious um, sacraments, um, saying uh, religious prayers, things like this, it angers them to the point to where the anger completely takes over and they don't, they're no longer incognito, okay, at this point. So we were, we had the Bible downstairs and we had the K2 meters and everything on top of the Bible. Um, I think we had it opened in, um, in John. I, John, I'm not really sure what chapter, or so don't don't even make me lie to you and tell you I knew what it was because I didn't. So when we started saying Bible verses, um, you could see all the equipment just light up. Okay, every device that we had would simultaneously go off at the same time. Now that's a lot of energy. That is something that is powerful. That is something that you're really not going to get from an earthbound spirit. Now, the only way that you can is if you have the perfect conditions, you know, which is a food source or an energy for a earthbound spirit to manifest and, and interact with you. Okay, but none of these elements existed at this time with this case. And um, I remember that the Bible, it's almost like a hurt, like a tornado appeared um, right in the middle where the Bible was. And the Bible actually threw the k2 meter off and and the bible itself shut okay so that was my concrete evidence that i needed to say okay 
I can say 100% without a doubt that we are, in fact, dealing with a demonic entity at this point. And another thing that you see in the show was where they talk about a rosary hanging on the door, on a uh, on the door, and it was swaying back and forth. That also happened during the investigation. Okay, um, so I knew that the demon was there, but. It has to have a right, okay? It has to have an entry point. Why is it there? Again, demons do not haunt homes unless they are conjured up and they are bound to a home, okay? Now, the occult does this a lot. When they conjure up demons, they're not dumb. They know that this entity can get the better hand of them, that it will attack them. So they they, they protect themselves, right? They'll put a pentagram on the floor. They'll conjure it up through the pentagram, and they will create a boundary which the entity cannot pass. It's protection for them, okay? But I did not know that this is what happened at this point in time. I just knew that it was here when they bought the house, so something had to take place in the home prior to them buying the house but i had to find out what it was and what the entry point was so that i can break the right that the entity had to the home and able to expel it from the home so i kind of had a hunch again i noticed that in the upstairs bedroom where the child's bedroom was that appeared to be ground zero that appeared to be where the most activity occurred in the home so what i started doing was looking for symbols okay when i talk about the occult or whoever conjures these things up create boundaries they do it with symbolism okay and usually they will put the symbols on top of door frames and closets you know things like that so that's always something that i look for well i couldn't find anything but something in my gut told me that there had to be something in that room now in the episode they say that they pulled up the carpet and there it was. In fact, that's not exactly how it happened. So we were investigating upstairs and one of our investigators kind of tripped on the corner of the carpet because it wasn't fastened to the floor and I seen a symbol. So I went and approached AJ and I told him what we were seeing. And, you know, I'm, I'm asking this man, basically, can we rip his carpet up in his upstairs bedroom? Okay. And, I had to make sure that I was going to be right, that that's actually what it was before I asked this man to do it. Well, needless to say, I asked him to do it, and he did. And sure enough, when we pulled up the carpet in the upstairs bedroom, there was a huge satanic pentagram that basically covered the entire floor. Now, when we see or think about satanic pentagrams, all right, that they use during a ritual, we think of this elaborate, well-drawn-out, you know, pentagram that we see in the movies. In fact, that is not at all what this thing looked like. It literally looked like a bunch of five-year-olds drew it. Nevertheless, all the elements that needed to be there were there. So obviously, this was done by someone who knew exactly what they were doing. So when I realized that that is what was going on, I knew right then and there how it got there and what the entry point was. Now it's just a point of removing this thing from these people's home. So it was getting late that night. And I wanted to do a cleansing of the home, which would, it wouldn't stop the activity, but it would slow it down for a couple of days. And I, ex I explained to AJ that he had to remove that floor from that upstairs bedroom.
Okay, so me and Chris Malasso done a cleansing. Well, we actually exercised the house that night, guys. When I tell you that when we got up to that upstairs bedroom and we started saying the ritual, the house started vibrating as if a freight train was going through the home. It was literally vibrating and shaking. And we heard a loud growling noise just charging us coming from downstairs up the stairs. I mean, it was loud. You could hear it. And, you know, there's very few times that I could say in a case that, that I really was scared. Because when I'm in that moment, I don't think of fear. I know I have to accomplish something. I have to say this ritual to break this right. And that's where my mind is. It's like tunnel vision, right? I don't really feel or sense the fear until after it is over. However, that night it was different. I felt that fear while we were there. Okay. I think me and Chris were holding hands upstairs by the end of, of the ritual or the cleansing. That is how intense it was. So with that being said, I explained to AJ how important it is that he removes this floor in a very orderly fashion because he only has about three days before the activity would pick up. And when it did, this thing would be PO'd, okay? Things would be ten times worse. Well, he assured me that he would, in fact, remove the floor. Again, in the beginning, as I stated, I had another case that I had to work on, right? So it's important and as, you know, Let's say as important it was that this would be taken care of, it was simple enough to where I explained to him what needs to happen and I will let him take care of it. Okay. Well, oh, I can see I'm going to have to end up making another episode of this because we're already in uh, over 30 minutes. So let me just tie this up and then I will do another uh, part two on this. So as we left the house that night, I had a, I had a very good feeling that. If he followed up and done what he was supposed to do, everything would be okay. I would go back to the home on a day that I had off and I will do what you call a deliverance, which would be basically taking the energy in the home, making it lukewarm, if you will, and then filling it with positive energy, right? And closing any portals that was in the place. Uh, well, make a long story short until the next episode. AJ didn't do what he was supposed to do. And things got a hell of a lot worse. So with that being said, guys, until next time, thank you guys so much for tuning into the Cajun Demonologist podcast. See ya.